Hello, hello. Hello. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. But for the ghosts. Uh, we're so excited to be back with another new episode. Uh, this is uh, going to be part two in our three-part series all about Nexium. Um, and we have a lot to cover today. Um, and it is one of those episodes that it is going to be quite, quite hard for, for many of us to, to listen to, to hear. There's a lot of uh, triggering material in this episode. So if some if things involving cult behavior, sexual abuse, um, any a- anything around that world um, cause you discomfort, you know, we will not be upset if you decide to not go ahead and listen to this week's episode. Um, if not, uh, we're, we're excited to, to give you part two. Before we do, uh, we just want to take a quick moment to... Uh, acknowledge our listener of the month for the month of March. We're so excited. We got an amazing review uh, this month and we needed to, needed to um, (laughs) publicly thank that person and uh, read their review on the air. And so this one comes to us from jaded underscore pill. Um, It's a five star review and it begins. It's worth noting. It's worth noting. It's worth worth note. Yes. It's worth noting that this podcast is a hoot. I love the banter between Adam and Christina. Her wackiness really plays well with Adam's sarcasm. I love the accents and theatrical performances sprinkled in the episodes. Bravo. Keep the episodes coming, please. Love it. Which is really, you know, she just gave us more permission, I think. I was going to say, she gets it. She get, This person she gets, gets this podcast. She just gets the pod. <laughs> um, Jade underscore pill. We don't know who you are, but we'd love to know who you are. Um, if um, head on over to our social and drop us a message on Instagram is the easiest way of doing it. DM us on Instagram at NY Mystery Machine, or you can email me at uh, Mystery Machine at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to send you a couple of stickers as a thank you for uh, for this beautiful review. And also, uh, like we said last week, uh, if you're interested in New York Mystery Machine merchandise, we have new T-shirts on sale. Head on over to belowthecollar.com slash nymysterymachine uh, or head to the links in our social media. We have everything there. All right, let's get into it because we have a lot to cover today. Let's all take deep breaths. Let's all be okay. This is a really hard one. Uh, last week we spoke, uh, Christina gave us a really pretty comprehensive look at Nexium, uh, what it was, what it pretended to be, what many thought it was, and starting to tell us really what Nexium was at its core. Um, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, we highly recommend that you do. Uh, Christina spoke about the incredible New York Times expose that really uh, was important and introduced many to the world of Nexium, the cult, uh, as well as Sarah Edmondson's story, one of the whistleblowers. Uh, many thought that the article would bring the organization down, but that mm-hmm. simply didn't happen. As we know, it took a lot more time for that to happen. But uh, in the wake of that article, Keith Ranieri, the leader of Nexium, did flee uh, the country and headed to Mexico. Now, it's important to note that um, it had a radical effect on other folks in the organization, coupled with Sarah Bonnie Mark and Nippy's work, um, trying to pull people out. Many people started to, on their own uh, um, choice, lead the organization as words started to spread about you know what's happening within it uh but at this point of the game there hadn't been any arrests um and honestly it truth be told there hadn't been any arrests because no one really knew where keith was at this point in the game <laughs> which is wild and this would change finally in march 2018 on march 27th 2018 mexican police in conjunction with the fbi arrested keith ranieri in mexico um, Keith fled there after the time story broke. 
Now, the FBI had been in contact with Mexican police as they had been given information that Keith may have been in Mexico as he fostered relationships with people uh, down in Mexico, a lot of wealthy families he had relationships with. Um, Nexium did a lot of work in Mexico, as you as you'll you'll hear a, bit, a little about later. Um, so Mexican police started to dig deeper and all of a sudden a familiar face popped up and that was the face of Allison Mack. We spoke a little briefly about Allison Mack last last uh, episode. Uh, Allison Mack was famous for uh, her role on Smallville, playing Chloe Sullivan, um, and she was pretty high up in the organization. Um, you know, she joined the organization um, and quickly gained favor with Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, became a real huge uh, pioneer in DOS and all the awful things they were doing. Uh, we spoke about DOS, Allison Mack, and that involvement last week. Um, when we're speaking about when Sarah was branded. Um, And so it is just really ironic that it's Alice and Max fame that really throws a spotlight on Keith and really catches him in in the situation. Um, The police began to study Ali Max patterns, eventually seeing Keith as well, taking photos of him. And they were able to eventually narrow down where they were pretty sure Keith was living. On that day, March 27th, 2018, five patrol cars with two officers each made their way to the house they suspected Keith was hiding in. They approached with a warrant. They asked the person who answered the door if Keith was there. They said no. They said they did know the person they were he was they were referring to. They showed the picture of the police showed the person at the door the picture of Keith. Like, yes, we do know who that is, but he's not here. Um, they said it was just five women in the house. And they wouldn't open the door. So the officers, having the warrant, broke down the door, mm-hmm. asked everyone to get on the floor. They searched the room and they found Keith Ranieri hiding in a closet. How the mighty have fallen, right. reduced to a closet, hiding in fear. Keith was sent to a hearing in Texas where he was then sent to Brooklyn to face charges of sex trafficking. Keith Ranieri would hire Mark Agnifilo to be the head of his defense team. Mark was a very solid defense attorney, former prosecutor. Um, he did lack a soul, which was really <laughs> great for the case. Um, I say this because... No, you're right. Because literally... I just love the phrasing. I'm going to mention Mark a bunch in this episode and so many of the things that Mark said. I was like, oh, you're just... You literally have oh, no yeah, soul. Oh, yeah, no, you're correct. Um, and I know that may or may not be like part of the gig to make you a, a good defense attorney for vile human beings. Um, but in any case, it is... Um, you know, really terrible. You know, if he did in fact believe in Keith uh, with all the ag- allegations accuming, that's pretty insane. But he was either dumb or soulless or both. Um, Moira Penza would be the lead prosecutor in the case, and she was just an all around rock star. <laughs> but this was not just a case against Keith. There are many people connected to this, and they would all find themselves in court. On April 20th, 2018, Allison Mack was arrested and charged with sex trafficking and forced labor. Moira Penza would say, quote, Miss Mack was one of the top members of the highly organized scheme, which was designed to provide sex to Ranieri. Under the guise of female empowerment, she starved women until they fit her co-defendant's sexual feminine desire ideal. Hmm. Gosh. During that appearance, Mack would plead not guilty. The following month, a New York Times article would come out speaking on Nexium and more specifically DOS. In this article, many things were uncovered, but among them, Alison Mack would explain the inner workings of DOS. 
She would also speak on the branding, talking about the ritual and claiming that she instituted it herself, hmm. which we would soon learn it was not it her is, idea. Right, it's not true. Way to fall on a sword. On May 4th, 2018, Keith Raniere pleaded not guilty to all charges. Keith said that, quote, everything was consensual with Nexium. After the hearing, his lawyer, Mark Agnifilo, told news outlets, there are well-known groups of men who brand themselves. A group of women do that, and suddenly they're victims. Way to just not get feminism, dude. Like, wait, wait, like how, we, how, how are these are victims? If they were men, they would not be victims. Right. Oh, that's what you're doing here? <laughs> That's that's the game we're playing. It's like it's such it's an inc- mind-bogglingly weak argument. It is the worst argument, right? It's like like it's just, if this was women, but this wouldn't be a, if this was men, this wouldn't be a case, right? I'm like you're not. This is not helping the case. Right. <laughs> this is not helping. Following his not guilty plea, Ranieri was held without bail. Nexium would announce that it was suspending all operations on June twelfth, two thousand eighteen. The organization posted the following on its website: "Quote." It is with deep sadness that we inform you we are suspending all Nexium ESP enrollment curriculum and events until further notice. We will be in touch with more information for anyone currently enrolled in upcoming events and programs. While we are disappointed by the interruption of our operations, we believe it is warranted by the extraordinary circumstances facing the company at this time. We continue to believe in the value and importance of our work and look forward to resuming our efforts when these allegations are resolved. So way to take a stand yeah as the summer continued more arrests would be made on july 24 2018 seagram heiress claire brothman nexium co-founder nancy salzman her daughter laura salzman and former nexium bookkeeper kathy russell were all arrested and charged with racketeering conspiracy Mm. prosecutors alleged that all four defendants recruited and groomed sexual partners for ranieri and used harassment, coercion, and abusive litigation to intimidate and attack perceived enemies and critics. Mm. We covered a little bit about this last week on the mm-hmm. show as well. Um, anytime someone spoke out against Nexium, Brofman's lawyers would like really go in hard, yeah, sue them for defamation, and they would lose. Right. When you have that much money, you can you can buy. A damn good lawyer, right? Yeah, and we're, I mean, worst case scenario, you're spending some money and right, you don't move doesn't on. hurt your pocket. Yeah. As 2018 turned into 2019, both sides would build their cases. Now, at this point, it seems like Ranieri, Broffin, and both Salzman, uh, as well as Mac and Russell, would be a united front throughout the trial. They all actually appeared in court together in 2018, and Mark Agnifilo said that he was speaking. Uh, with one voice for all of them. Hmm. So for most people, they thought they were going to kind of just all go down together, like United Front. But then something super interesting happens in March 2019. On March 13th, 2019, Nancy Salzman pleaded guilty to racketeering Mm -hmm. conspiracy in federal court. Nancy was the co-founder of Nexium, and she admitted to hacking emails of Nexium critics she said in court that she had monitored women as part of her role within the organization. She said in court that she had obtained passwords and usernames of people who were suspected of leaking Nexium secrets. She said the following, quote, I want you to know I am pleading guilty because I am, in fact, guilty. I accept that some of the things I did were not just wrong, but sometimes criminal. And just like that, the pieces began to crumble. Mm-hmm. Because 
once you're not on, if you're not on trial yourself, you're then susceptible to be called to a trial mm-hmm. and to take the stand. And we're going to see a little bit of that happening later. But this was a shocking event for a lot of people that Nancy, being the co-founder, right. was the first one to to admit to being guilty first. It shocked a lot of people within uh, the community of whistleblowers who were, you know, working their asses off to yeah. bring down Nexium and bring down Keith. Um, and so that day in court would prove to be a doozy for more than one reason. Hours after Nancy pleaded guilty, federal prosecutors charged Ranieri with child pornography. They accused Ranieri of coercing a child into sexual conduct to produce visual depictions of it and possessing child porn pornography between 2005 and 2018. We will get into all of this Mm -hmm. in a little bit, unfortunately. At the Brooklyn hearing, prosecutors alleged that Ranieri also had sex with a 15-year-old girl who later became a quote-unquote sex slave, as we spoke last week. Uh, the terms that, that were used within DOS of slave and master. Mm. Um, we're going to table it for just a moment. We're going to delve into that uh, when we talk about all the things that were further discovered within the trial. Today, Today's episode really is focusing on... Um, all these really, really powerful testimonies that were given and the really startling things that were learned well after Keith was arrested mm-hmm. and put on trial. Things that many in the organization didn't know was happening. Um, something, Many things that Nancy Salzman claimed to not know as well as the number two of the organization. On April 2nd, Nancy's daughter, Lauren Salzman, would follow suit with her mother and plead guilty to racketeering and racketeering conspiracy and admitted in court to keeping a personal slave locked in her home for two years. Yes, we will get there as well. Later that week, on April 8th, Allison Mack would reverse her plea nearly a year after she pleaded not guilty. Mack entered a plea agreement on racketeering charges. At her hearing, she would say, quote, I know I can and will be a better person. Hmm. Yeah, it's wild to see so many people just in quick succession start pleading guilty to them. Yeah, because the final two pieces that were shielding Keith would fall 11 days later. <sighs> Claire Brofman pleaded guilty on April 19th, 2019 to two criminal counts. Brofman admitted to harboring a woman who came to the U.S. with a fake work visa uh, to use the woman's labor for herself and the organization. We'll get there as well. And she also helped Ranieri... Uh, use a dead woman's credit card. Gosh. Um, she would say, quote, I wanted to do good in the world and help people. However, I had made mistakes. And finally, Kathy Russell, who served as Nexium's bookkeeper, pleaded guilty to one charge of visa fraud. Mm. Kind of the least amount right. of all the things. <laughs> I was going to say, on the scale of things. On the scale of things. Not, not as bad as uh, everything else but yeah i mean really bad really, really bad. bad super bad this is all super bad all super bad um but not as in in in, in perspective right visa fraud you know not great right but so let's dive in to the trial of keith ranieri because now he's the only one who will be going to trial um this news shocks everyone um there are, we, last week we spoke about uh the documentary on HBO The Vow and um on the documentary you see the the live reactions when many of the whistleblowers who we got to meet in season 1 finding out this information shocked mm-hmm. them people like Sarah Edmondson Mark Vicente um people who are discovering that all of these people around Keith um pleaded not, pleaded guilty quite quickly yeah. to it so 
Let's dive into this trial, Keith Raniere. Once again, this is really tough, you guys. I gotta say, I doing this research for this was really hard. <laughs> um, uh, and, and having to recount this story to you is quite hard as well. So um, thanks for just all holding space together on this week's episode. And last week's episode, too, for all intents purposes. <laughs> the six-week trial began on May 7th, 2019. The prosecution's first witness was identified as Sylvie to protect her identity. Many of the people who did take the stand used pseudonyms um, and had their identity kind of blocked from the record for their own protection. Sylvie starts a trial right at the heart of the case, which was Das. Um, that's really what this case was really circling about. We know that, you know, the organization did a lot of shitty things all around it, but at the heart of it, from what all the information looks like, is that Nexium ESP was really a feeder system into what DOS would become, as we covered last week. Sylvie said she was a part of Nexium for 13 years. She had met Claire, um, they both being uh, equestrian riders, and she was inspired to take the five-day intensive course. Uh, we didn't really cover it last week too much, but uh, when... Starting out with Nexium, there were different uh, courses you can take. There was a five-week course. There was a 16-week course. The most common take was the five-week course. Um, it really was an intense kind of like um, introduction into the organization, into to all the practices. And a lot of people after taking that five-week course would then decide to continue their journey uh, in the STRIPE program. That's Christina spoke about. Um, she would talk deeply about the twisted belief that Keith would use as curriculum, that there was no such thing as a victim and that anything that happens to you is created by you. We spoke about this last week. Uh, this is called being at cause. You are the cause of your emotions and your life. Sylvie explained that this mentality makes you question right and wrong, that too many people cry abuse when there isn't abuse. Sylvie dives into DOS and talks about her collateral, which was a letter she wrote to her family telling them that she was a prostitute. It was a very detailed and explicit letter talking about her daily routine, which would involve um, lots of sex work. Mm -hmm. Whether this is true or not was never revealed, but this is what she decided to make for her collateral. It's important to know a lot of the people in their collateral, you know, lied a bunch. Right. Uh, we learned that Sarah had started to lie in her, uh, uh, Sarah had started to lie in her collateral as well. Um, yeah, it wasn't about necessarily the truth of, whatever the collateral yeah. was so much as just the act of giving collateral so that you were beholden. Yeah, absolutely. Sylvia then was given her first assignment, which was very common. You got assignments from your master. Her first assignment was to seduce Keith. This began with a text to him in which he requested nude photos from her. This would eventually lead into a further assignment where she would go to Keith's house where he instructed her to lay on the bed. He then performed oral sex on her. The defense's argument towards this and many of the allegations were very much rooted in these people's free will. <sighs> However, Sylvie would explain that she was following the orders of her master, and her master told her that she needed to please Keith. Mm -hmm. Following the rules of the master were required because if that was not done, your collateral will be released. The next person to take the stand was Mark Vicente. We learned a little bit about Mark last week. Mark, for is an award-winning documentarian and he really took the role of um, being the company's documentarian for many years that he was being involved. Um, he had a very 
close relationship with Keith. Um, Christina mentioned uh, how just how hard it was for him, especially because for a while the two of them were hanging out very much daily Mm -hmm. and so hearing all these things and realizing that everything that he believed in was was completely false was really hard for him um he's only one of the whistleblowers to take the stand Mm. mark would talk about the idea of speaking with dishonor mark said that if you spoke without honor you had a problem with pride and you were suppressive he said that you can speak with dishonor about anyone but the one person you were not allowed to ever speak dishonorably was Keith. Mm. You could never speak poorly about Keith. Mm. Never Vanguard. Hmm. Uh, anyone else is fine. Mark continued and said that Keith would even say that the word cult doesn't exist. Anyone who uses the word cult was suppressive. Oh. First rule of cult school, don't tell anyone that there's a cult. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. It's like the first rule of cult school is to tell everyone that cults don't exist. That's, that's a myth. Like, it's insane. Again, being three steps, three steps ahead, right? Mark would would continue his testimony. The hardest part about Mark's testimony, he had said, was the fact that he really made a promise with himself that he wouldn't look at Keith at all the entire Mm. time. But there was a moment in the the court where he was asked to point out Keith, and he had to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a really, really hard moment for him. Now, during the trial, we were also introduced to many of Keith's supporters. These are ferocious supporters who have had Keith's back since day one. Um, the, the, the main five of these people are Nikki Klein. Who you would possibly know from Battlestar Galactica. Who you would know from Battlestar Galactica, who's also married to Allison Mack. Uh, and she was a DOS member. Michelle, uh, Michelle Hatchett, who is another DOS member. Eduardo Asunsolo. Sunil Chakravarti and Mark Elliott. These supporters are now commonly known as the Nexium Five. They are five people who are still fighting to keep to clear Keith's name. We'll talk a little more about them later. But in this group of supporters, I do want to highlight Mark Elliott for just a moment. Mm-hmm. Mark is a very interesting person in all of this. Mark claimed that Keith and all of Keith's work and teaching cured him of his Tourette's. Um, if you watch The Val, you will see uh, videos of Mark um, prior to this and his Tourette's. And he claimed that the work that Keith did with him cured him of his Tourette's. The work that Keith did with Mark Elliott would then inspire Keith to work with a girl named Isabella. Isabella also had Tourette's and found the organization through Nancy, eventually connecting with Mark. In December 2017, Isabella would leave the group after finding out what was happening with Doss. She wasn't mm-hmm. involved with Doss, but she did know other women who were and got wind of it. And one day and one night, literally packed her bags and left in the middle of the night. Right. Um, Mark was very concerned. Uh, this is being Mark Elliott, not Mark Vicente. Mark Elliott was very concerned. You would call her and, and tell her, you know, anything that she's believing is false, mm-hmm. that, you know, Keith is a, a good human being. Um, eventually Mark Elliott would turn on her during this entire process as she never really ever found the faith to go back to this organization. Now, last week, Christina mentioned the vow, the vow on the show. Um, I mentioned it last week as well. Uh, During its second season, Nancy Salzman was a key figure, which is very controversial because Mm -hmm. um, many felt that the six episode season highlighted Nancy, made Nancy look like more of a victim than she was. Mm. 
I was gonna say I felt ended up feeling sorry for her. And I don't know if I felt manipulated to feel sorry for her. Right. I don't know if I really felt sorry for her. If I pitied her, which is which is the word I definitely do. Yes. Pity is that, and I think that pity is not is not genuine feelings of empathy. I think pity is right. pity. Yeah. I did pity her. Um, but yeah, um, she was a, a real big um, person who who was highlighted on this. Nancy would say that she had no idea what DOS was, mm-hmm. which is something that has continued to plague many people. Yeah. As a second person of an organization, how you didn't know how this was know? happening yeah. is you know kind of crazy. And also just knowing who Keith was and how Keith acted around people. And as the series continued, as all of the information was brought to light, it seems more and more that Nancy had more knowledge than she was willing to admit. It seemed mostly that even if Nancy didn't know the full extent of mm-hmm. what was happening, she knew the rumblings of it and chose to ignore it for what she probably thought was the greater good of the organization. Right. She truly believed in the organization. She believed in what ESP was doing. She believed in the thousands of people who took uh, courses with, with ESP and Nexium along the years and refused to believe it was just a sex cult. And it's interesting, too, to think about in terms of, you know, if she if how much her choices, how how much Keith potentially was able to also manipulate her. Right. How much how much of that indoctrination that she was essentially doing on that she was doing on people essentially did on herself as well. Yeah. I mean, the first round of all of Keith's teachings was getting sent directly through Nancy. Right. So all these things that everyone was doctrinated in over the years, Nancy was the first one to be exposed to them. Mm-hmm. She was the first one to be, you know, she refined it. Yeah. She refined it. You know, she learned what was to be at cause and slowly, but surely along the journey, she kind of realized why isn't Keith ever wrong, mm. but never really questioned why is Keith never wrong. Right. And and there's a problem. If you see something, say something, right? We, we That's our New York joke on every train. If you see something, say something, right? But that's really the thing. Nancy clearly saw something mm-hmm. and just refused to kind of acknowledge what it was. Nancy would only learn about DOS when her daughter informed her. Um, when Lauren did tell her what DOS was, she did it in, in a way that she was saying that Keith has nothing to do with it. And this is only the girls. We learn later on that's completely false. So then Nancy and her team tried to get the sex crime separated from the other crimes of the trial. You know, separate the sex stuff from like conspiracy and racketeering. Right. Like let them be separate. Um, that was rejected. Um, because it was then because it was rejected, Nancy's lawyers told her that she and Lauren needed to plead guilty if they wanted to stand a chance in letter sentencing. Right. Because the sentencing for this was going to be so harsh if it went to trial. Right. Your best bet was just to plead guilty and take it from there. Yeah. So Nancy was convinced and her lawyer was like, You need to make sure you convince your daughter to do the same. And that's how both of them ended up pleading guilty. Lauren would soon become a huge asset to the prosecution as she was the first and only huge um, person of Keith's inner circle to take the stand and testify on trial. And we're going to learn all about this haunting testimony after the break. (laughs) 
The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. All right, we are back. Lauren Salzman, daughter of Nancy Salzman, co-founder of Nexium, is called to take the stand. And this really turns the case around for the prosecution. Lauren would testify that Keith approached her about Doss, stating that he wanted to make their relationship closer. He asked her what she was willing to do for her growth and commitment to him. She responded, anything. Lauren would tell the court that she had a sexual relationship with Keith for roughly seven years, something that Nancy claimed to not have any knowledge of for five years. Ugh. Ugh. Gosh. Gosh. It blows the mind. It blows my mind that she has no idea, especially because there's so much footage of how Keith is with people and how he touches people. Um, and again, it's, but that's been so normal. Like, that's the part yeah, that I keep going back so to. Like, normalized. it's been so normalized for so long that, well, I uh, Yeah, it's pretty intense and pretty, pretty intense and awful. Lauren would say that Keith asked her not to tell anyone about their relationship, including her mother. Lauren said that she talked about having children, but Keith eventually told her that she didn't have a good work outlet and was not thin enough, which is why they weren't going to have kids. In 2011, Keith would tell her that he was, in fact, ready for kids. But one fateful night during midnight volleyball, Lord, she got excited and jumped on another member of her team, another member of the community. This outraged Keith. He said that she disrespected him and committed an ethical breach. Gosh. Now, an ethical breach is a tool that Keith used to condemn people in the group. An ethical breach in his mind uh, was something that needed to be rectified through some sort of action. If you commit an ethical breach, you needed to do work to repair that breach. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, um, this ostracized you from the community until you repaired that breach. Um, this all was ironic as Keith was very much sleeping with more people in the group mm-hmm. than anyone else. Um, and yet, because he was vanguard, he could not commit an ethical breach. Right. It was impossible. Um, Lauren, to repair her breach, had to write a seven-page plan to fix the breach. Um, in this plan, she tore herself down. Um, she she said that you know she disrespected Keith, that she needed to lose weight, that she needed to just better herself, that she was unworthy of Keith. And she would do anything in her power to rebuild herself up to be worthy of this again. Lauren said that in 2013, she told Keith she had kissed someone else and she decided that she wanted to move on from Keith. Hmm. He told her that he, if she stayed with him, he would then reinvest in their relationship and start a family. He told her he was thinking about leaving the community, 
because of what she did. Gosh. Stating that if you decide to move on with someone, I'm going to step down as Vanguard and leave. This tore Lauren apart. Mm -hmm. She couldn't imagine the Vanguard leaving the group on her account because of something that she did. And so she stayed with him instead. Soon after, she and a close friend spoke about Doss. A few weeks after that, Keith told her he was having a child with someone else. Lauren would testify that she lied to the Nexium community about Keith's involvement in DOS. It's really important to know that so much of Keith's downfall is this obsession he has with recording everything. Mm-hmm. During the trial, the court listened to a meeting in which Keith spoke about the branding and how he liked the fact that it was his initials, something the members of DOS originally claimed to be false when it was originally brought up and brought to light by Sarah in her New York Times article. In another audio recording between Allison Mack and Keith, Keith said that the branding should include women completely nude, being held down to the table like a sacrifice. And they would need to ask to be branded as a sign of submission. Lauren continued and told the court that Keith was having sex with Allison's slaves. At the time, when she found out, she confronted Allison about it. And Allison said it wasn't all of his slaves, it was just two of them. But he did have plans to, quote unquote, start working with two more. Gosh, working. With, I think that's interesting, too. The idea of working with that this was couched and maybe you say this, but this was couched in some ways for people it's like working on your body issues. Yeah. 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 That's how it's all connected. Right. Yeah. It's working with means sleeping with. Right. But working with in the sense of trying to build these people up in yeah. a way. So all of this really starts to get plugged into the debate on consent, right? Mm -hmm. So much of this trial, so much of of Keith's team's defense lives in the world of consent. These are women who consented to this. These are women who decided that they want to make this vow. They want to, to, to give themselves to Keith, to whoever. Consent is very fluid, right? Just as easy as consent is to give, it is quite easy Mm -hmm. to take that consent right back and to retract it. Mm -hmm. However, with collateral, that makes consent almost impossible Mm -hmm. to to, to retract. Collateral, as we said last week, is not collateral. It's blackmail. Mm -hmm. And so then the question becomes, was there ever consent to begin with? One of the members, Veronica, spoke about her collateral. She decided to leave DOS when her collateral was threatened to be released. She and others always believed that the collateral was there as a symbol, Mm -hmm. never something to actually be used uh, against these people. However, she had the courage to know that if she did leave, her collateral would be released and didn't care. She sent a video to Keith letting him know that she was leaving and her collateral still exists someplace in the world. Mm -hmm. In March 2018, the first line slaves of DOS planned a recommitment ceremony in Mexico with Keith, with Keith, which was basically going to be an orgy. Right. Lauren said that she originally did not want to go, but was very much convinced to go and persuaded. This, however, ended up being when Keith was arrested. That day, when the police raided the house, Lauren was one of the women in the room. Mm. She was asked to get on the ground. Guns pointed at her. In a moment of absolute terror, she called out Keith's name. Mm -hmm. The next moment, they opened the door 
And that was Keith. In the closet. In the closet. Lauren said that she felt guilty for so long because of that. She felt like her job was to defend Keith. And in and in one way or another, it was. Like we said last week, all the teachings that Nexium brought were really meant to build to the next step, right? Mm-hmm. To build to Keith's long-term plan, the right. long game. And that was the idea of defending Keith with your whole life. Right. And what crushed her the most was she knew that in that situation, she would she would put Keith first. But she also knew in that same situation, if the roles were reversed, Keith would put Keith first as well. Right. And within this, it was very much common knowledge that we had mentioned the Nexium 5 earlier, that more and more people were going to start coming to Keith's aid. Because again, just like what Lauren did in that room in Mexico, putting her body on the line, putting her life on the line for Keith's safety, all these people would start doing, because that's what the stuff that they were being fed for all Mm -hmm. those years, that Vanguard was number one Mm -hmm. and that they needed to protect him at all costs. Mm -hmm. Hence why there's so many of his supporters still out in the world today trying to clear his name. Lauren's sister, Michelle, would claim on the vow that Keith tried to have a relationship with her while she was having one with while he was having one with Lauren. At the time, she was only 18 years old. Nancy said this thing on the vow that really struck me. He said, quote, she said, quote, he never liked Michelle, but I didn't realize it was because she didn't want to have sex with him. I guess I should have. Mm. Yes, Nancy, you should have. I feel like a lot of this episode where it. It comes down to parenting a mm. little bit too. It's like, oof. Parents, watch out for your kids. Watch out for your kids, kids. Yeah. I, I'm i still stuck on... I actually don't know how much Nancy believes... Like, how much... I, I can't decide how much Nancy is victim or not. Yeah, and that's fair. I, I really don't know, right? I really don't yeah. know how much of it is Nancy... Either living in, in ignorance, mm-hmm. lying to lie, or just didn't you know, just didn't know. Right. I don't know. At the end of Lauren's testimony, it led us to some of the deepest, cringiest crimes involved in this trial. As we learned earlier, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, she talked about the time where she locked someone against their will in a room, saying that it was the worst thing that she ever did. The person who that was done to was named Daniela. Referred to in the story as Danny, she was introduced to the court through Lauren and eventually would take the stand next. Danny was a Mexican citizen, not an American one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to chat a little bit about you know how she came to, to this world of Nexium. She takes the stand. Now, there's a moment at the top of episode five of The Vow in season two and there's a recording of Keith, right? And he says, what do you do when someone you really care for, your best friend, your child, becomes delusional or hurts someone or whatever? Mm-hmm. Very, like, ambiguous also. What's a procedure that you follow? And the folks around the table are all thinking to themselves. And they're probably saying to themselves, I don't know, probably seek support or like, see what the issue is, try to get them help, etc." Keith just says, exile. <sighs> And this is what happens to Danny. Now, Danny goes on the stand and and gives a full account of her journey with Nexium. Her parents had taken ESP training in Mexico and then went to Albany to meet Keith. Keith became very close to the family. 
In 2002, while she was 16 years old, Danny first became involved with Nexium. She was getting ready to go to elite school in Switzerland, and as a gift from her parents, they signed her and her sister Mariana up for the 16-week course. Her parents went back to Mexico and left the girls in Albany, Clefton Park. During those 16 weeks, Keith would convince Danny not to go to school in Switzerland. He would enlist Danny to follow him around with a video camera. He was convinced that future generations would want, to, would want a record of him and the ideas that he had in his life. In addition, Keith would quote-unquote hire Danny to read complex science and mathematic books and give him a report on them. He did this as a way to get all the information he needed without reading the books. Mm. He always claimed to be super smart. He wasn't reading these books. Other people were reading them for him. Right, and writing book reports. Danny was not paid for this because she was there on a visitor's visa mm -hmm. and wasn't allowed to be paid. Even though you can, like, take money out of your pocket in cash and right. give it. Right, yep. And certainly the crimes they were going to learn in the next three minutes are much worse than pot than paying yeah. someone out of your pocket right. in cash. About a year into her time there, Danny decided to steal $6,000 from the office. However, she immediately returned the money, but feeling guilty enough about it, she decided to confess to Keith what she did. And here is where shit gets real twisted and dark. Even more, I guess, than <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much more twist we can get. Keith would tell Nancy about what happened and basically tell her that she, that Danny is sneaky, that Danny can't be trusted. And this kind of spreads to other people within the community. And soon enough, no one begins to trust Danny. Mm. They treat her differently. They keep their distance from her. But one person doesn't do any of that. Do you know what that is? Is it, is it Keith? Yep. Keith remains kind to her because this way he can easily manipulate her more as her only friend, which at one point in the journey, that's what she felt like Keith mm -hmm. was her only friend there because he purposely made everyone turn their backs on her. Soon after one day when they were meeting together, Keith kissed Danny. Now Danny was only 17 at this moment. It's actually Danny's first kiss ever. He tells her to keep it a secret, and she does. Keith would then start to flirt more and more with her, but told her they can't have sex until she was 18, and also that she needed to lose weight because he couldn't have sex with her until she had lost more weight. But soon after she turned 18, he asked her to meet him at the office of an old business he had. He led her to a dimly lit room with an old, dirty mattress on the floor. He asked her to get naked. He performed oral sex on her, then got naked himself and laid on her for a bit before telling her to get dressed and go home. Soon enough, oral sex became a very common thing between the two of them. Anytime they were alone, that's what Keith asked for. In 2004, her visa was withdrawn. So she flew to Canada, but was then smuggled back immediately into the country by members of the community. Mm. She was now in the country illegally. Danny would tell the jury that the night she got back Keith brought her and her sister Mariana up into his room and started kissing her sister while touching her. They both started to cry, and the three never spoke of it ever again. Eventually, Mariana and Danny's little sister and little brother, Camilla and Adrian, came to Albany. 
The two would be put in housing far from their older sisters, who lost everyday contact with them. In fact, only Keith knew where Camilla was living. Mm. In 2006, Keith told Danny that he was having sex with Camilla. At this point, he was sleeping with all three sisters. In 2006, Danny became pregnant with Keith's baby and was sent to have an abortion and also instructed to not tell them that Keith was the father. I know. I know. And, this, and some of the sisters are very much underage at this point. Right? At this point, Cammie is the only one underage. Cammie okay. is, is between 15 and 16. God. Uh, I believe Cammie is 16 where they're having sex. But we're going to soon learn that um, the relationship began when she was 15 years right. old. Um, and Keepa Keith is having sex with all three. Mariana, right. Danny, and Cammie. In the vow, after talking about this moment, Keith's lawyer says something that literally made me rip a fucking door off a wall almost. <laughs> Quote, after hearing Danny's testimony, that was tough to hear, but I don't think Keith committed a crime. How? It's like, oh, you're, sure a, bad, you're a bad lawyer because you don't know what statutory rape is. Like, that's what the situation is. <gasps> like, you're a bad lawyer. Like, you're just a bad... That's why you lost your case. This is why you lost your case. Because you clearly don't know the rules of law. Because if you don't know that you cannot have sex with a 15 or 16-year-old right. in the state of New York, you are not a good lawyer. Right. <sighs> Soon after, Danny was interested in someone else. She, in fact, made out with this guy and decided to tell Keith because Keith was her only friend still. Right. Keith flipped out on her. He told her that she had committed an ethical breach. He had said that she had pride issues. The community, then led by Lauren, took all of Danny's things, papers, ID, and told her she needed to stay in this empty room until she fixed her ethical breach. There was a small mattress about uh, one and a half inches off the floor. The window was blacked out so she couldn't see the day. She entered the room on March 9th, 2010 and remained there for over two years. She was given paper and pen to write to Keith every day. Meals were left outside of her door. I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. Left outside the door. Is the door not locked? It's not locked. Then why does she stay? Well, Keith has a lot of power. Mm -hmm. The house wasn't all the house was also never empty. There's mm -hmm. also people there. She had no ID, no papers, and if she did flee, Keith said that they would have her deported. Mm -hmm. Keith would have a conversation with Danny's mom just before she got into the room, in which Danny's mom ended up blaming herself for Danny being selfish and manipulative, as Keith described her to be. Her mom said that it was her fault. She created a monster. Half truths, kids, yeah. that this man told these parents. Gosh. They respected Keith so much. They believed that Keith was a great leader. He's, they sent all their kids to learn from him. So who are they going to believe, their kids or this great man, they thought? Right. So one day... Danny remembered that Keith loved long hair so very much. And at this point of the game, Danny's hair was very long, just about way down her back. Mm -hmm. She remembered that there was a pair of scissors in the bathroom. She went to the bathroom, got the scissors, and cut her hair. Lauren, the only person who Danny ever saw daily, if that much, saw Danny with her short hair, told Keith about it, and Keith reported back that it was an ethical breach even worse than before. She would now need to stay in the room until her hair grew back to where it was. Gosh. 
Danny started to save up cleaning supplies at this point. She had planned that once she had enough of them, she would consume them and just kill herself. One day, however, she walked to the window and pulled the masking off. She saw a cardinal bird outside, just tweeting and existing, Mm -hmm. and said, fuck this, I want to live. She walked out the door and never came back. Mm. But oddly enough, as heavy as this all is, it's not the real key to winning this case. It certainly helped. Mm-hmm. It certainly pushed the jury to to, to, to really get the, the scope of, of the abuse. Mm-hmm. The prosecution knew that it was not Danny, but Camilla, who would be the key to winning this case. As it was Camilla's text with Keith that formed the base of Doss. His own words made the case. Camilla didn't testify, but the texts were, were damning. In these text messages, he tells Camilla that he wanted a vow of obedience from her after she had an encounter with a different guy in the community. Keith said if he didn't get this vow, he would kick her out of the community. At this point, Camilla is 24, and Keith tells her to make a vow to be his slave. Mind you, Camilla met Keith when she was just 15 years old. So this is nearly a decade of breeding. Yeah. The messages start to show the plan of Doss. She asks what he wants in slaves. He says he wants girls who are much younger than thinner than her. He tells her that she should get his own she should get her own slaves to groom for him. He tells her he wants to brand her. This kills Keith's entire defense. Mm-hmm. The defense says that Doss is an empowerment group, but the texts clearly show that it is only for Keith's gain, mm-hmm. that he's the architect of it and not these women. Within the text, he also confirms that he has kept photos of Camilla from when she was 15 years old and underage. Mm. When the prosecution read that, all they needed to do was find the photos, and they did. And they showed the photos to the jury, which is God. must have been hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. The final witness of the case was named Nicole. She was found by Allison Mack, who was her acting mentor. Allison Mack had her own little organization at the time, uh, which focused on um, bettering actors as well, using a lot of the tools that were taught in Nexium. She would join Nexium and eventually DOS, and her assignment was to see Keith and tell him that she would do anything he asked her to do. So, with that, Keith blindfolded Nicole. He drove her someplace. They entered a front door, and he told her to undress. He led her to a table and tied her to it. All of a sudden, someone started to perform oral sex on her. She thought it was Keith, but all of a sudden, Keith started speaking at the same time. It turned out to be another woman. It was Camilla. She asked if she can go after it was over. He told her not to speak of what happened. And this is where the prosecution realizes why Camilla wasn't at the trial and doesn't testify. Because Camilla went from victim to victimizer. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the testimonies. On that last day, June 19th, 2019, Ranieri was found guilty on all counts of sex trafficking and forced labor charges. The Nexium 5, as mentioned earlier, delivered an affidavit to the prosecution stating that the trial misrepresented Keith. It had no bearing on the sentencing as they hoped it would. In her federal lawsuit filed in New York on January 20th, 2020, 
More than 80 people accused Ranieri and 14 Nexium associates of operating a criminal enterprise that, quote, functioned as both a Ponzi scheme and coercive community. Some members said that they were part of a psychological experiment in which they were subjected to scenes of escalating violence, including actual, extremely graphic footage of the brutal beheading and dismemberment of five women in Mexico. This is all according to the lawsuit that was filed. September On September 30th, 2020, Claire Brothman was sentenced to nearly 81 months in prison, about seven years. On October 27th, 2020, Keith Raniere was sentenced to 120 years in prison. He maintains his innocence and plans to appeal. Hmm. On June 30th, 2021, Allison Mack was sentenced to three years in prison. On July 28th, 2021, Lauren Salzman was sentenced to time served, five years of probation, and 300 hours of community service for her role in the organization. At sentencing, she had already spent several years in home confinement after being charged in the cause. On September 8th, 2021, Nancy Salzman, who was being held in home confinement as well, was sentenced to 42 months in prison. Mm. The Nexium Five are still fighting to clear Keith's name. If you watch The Vow, you would see them dancing with flashlights out of Keith's holding cell in Brooklyn like crazy people, rejoicing in some sort of happy ending that will come from this, mm-hmm. which won't come from this. Um, maybe one day they'll realize the harm that has been done by Keith, but you know, there's a lot of unpacking that needs yeah. to be done in order for that to happen. Yeah. And as we, we've heard from Len, many of the interviews, you know, it's hard to come to the realization that everything you know is false. Right. And that everything you've given your life to is false. And that is the story of Nexium. Next week on the show, we have our third and final piece of this, and we will have a special guest. Next week on the show, we have the immense honor of chatting with Sarah Edmondson, ah! who was the whistleblower who was featured in the New York Times article. Um, we had a great opportunity to sit with Sarah and talk about her journey, her story, and we look forward to you listening to all of that. We, once again... Um, we are sorry of how, how graphic a lot of this episode was um, and how tough it was for many people. Um, but if you did listen to the whole episode, we, we thank you for standing with us for, for throughout all of it. And um, we look forward to, to you joining us next week for our amazing interview with Sarah Edmondson. I've been Adam Ace. Christina Marinelli. And thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tell me hope for ghosts. Ooh.